49. Hello, and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hamlety. We are making our way through the Danish court's proceedings on the morning, or afternoon, that covers the start of Act 2, Scene 2. We've had Rosengrantz and Guildenstern, and we've had the update from Cornelius and Voltamand, the ambassadors liaising with Norway. In the midst of this, we've also had Polonius dropping a crumb trail of hints for Claudius that he has details of what's going on with Hamlet. Shakespeare has studied the fabric of the scene with all these hints in order to heighten the tension. A less complicated character would have heard that Hamlet had appeared so bizarrely to his daughter and gone straight to the king. But Polonius, pasha of protocol, is happy to relegate his daughter's business, and indeed that of the heir apparent, to an official position on the court docket. Finally, this moment has come. Of course, the danger with Polonius is that once he starts talking, it can be difficult to shut him up. And off he goes, just as the ambassadors leave the room. This business is well ended. My liege and madam, to expostulate what majesty should be, what duty is, why day is day, night, night, and time is time, were nothing but to waste night, day, and time. Therefore, since brevity is the soul of wit, and tediousness the limbs and outward flourishes, I will be brief. Your noble son is mad. Mad call I it, for to define true madness what is't but to be nothing else but mad. But let that go. Polonius gets a great many of the most famous lines in Hamlet particularly those that can be applied as sage advice for life. To thine own self be true was a big one, and indeed any editor in the world would agree that brevity is the soul of wit. The great irony is that Polonius tends not to apply these nuggets of wisdom to his own self. This section of the text can easily be played as a charming, bumbling caricature of a civil servant who enjoys the sound of his own voice, This little speech, which can easily be played for laughs, begins with a salient point. Polonius starts by saying that there's no point in trying to spend time wondering what majesty should be. So instead he will, eventually, get to the discussion of what Hamlet, whose future should include majesty and duty, actually is. He's mad. All Polonius really says here is that Hamlet is mad. There's no nice way to say this, of course, and perhaps this is why he veils it in so much seemingly overblown rhetoric. Polonius certainly is a windbag, but I think it is worth giving him a little more credit here. The speech becomes all the more interesting if we allow for the fact that maybe Polonius is very nervous as he tries to find a way to give that simple bit of news. Hamlet is mad. No wonder he keeps deflecting and pushing it down the order of business until there are less courtiers present to overhear it. He wants to save the information for this later moment so that he can tell Gertrude and Claudius in private. 
He's nervous, and he gets tied up as soon as he starts trying to talk about what things should be, saying that trying to explain what majesty or duty should be is a waste of time, day or night. My liege, and madam, to expostulate what majesty should be, what duty is, why day is day, night, night, and time is time, were nothing but to waste night, day, and time. He catches himself in this wordiness, or perhaps gets a raised eyebrow from the king or queen, and starts again, and again he quickly starts to ramble. Therefore, since brevity is the soul of wit, uh, and tediousness the limbs and outward flourishes, I, I will be brief. If brevity is the soul of wit, poor Polonius has no wit at all, and he continues the famous line with this extension relating to tediousness as wit's outward flourishes. But again he does seem to catch himself, and we get the almost uncharacteristically blunt line. I will be brief. Your noble son is mad. I sometimes get the sense that Polonius, like nature, abhors a vacuum, and he can't really cope with silence. Once this neutron bomb of information is dropped, the heir to the throne is insane. There's certainly room for a pause while the king and queen take it in. Polonius can't cope with silence for very long, of course, and so the nervous babble resumes as he backtracks and almost apologises, saying that really it's only him that's calling Hamlet's condition madness, but really, in fairness, isn't it madness itself to go around identifying others as mad? Mad call I it, for to define true madness, what is't but to be nothing else but mad? Funny as it may seem, there's a great humanity to Polonius's discomfort. It's far too easy to write him off as just a schemer and a talker. Shakespeare's got a lot more going on than that. The king and queen are primed to respond now, and Gertrude speaks. In fine contrast to Polonius's prattle, she says very few words. More matter with less art. In other words, get to the point. No rhetoric. Polonius has another lengthy reply. Madam, I swear I use no art at all. That he is mad, tis true, tis true, tis pity, and pity tis, tis true, a foolish figure. But farewell it, for I will use no art. Mad let us grant him, then. And now remains that we find out the cause of this effect, or rather say, the cause of this defect, for this effect defective comes by cause. Thus it remains, and the remainder thus. Perpend. I have a daughter, have, while she is mine, who, in her duty and obedience, Mark, have given me this. Now gather and surmise. Again. It's very easy to play all this twisting talk for laughs and nervousness. Polonius is certainly tying himself up in knots here. But why would Shakespeare just have him be this inflated? It's not the most hilarious thing he ever wrote, goodness knows. It's almost exasperating that Polonius takes so long to get to the point of handing over the letter. He trips over himself trying to say the right thing, that it's a pity that what he's saying is true, and indeed it's also true that it's a pity but he stops himself from trying to make this into anything more rhetorically fancy. Then he gets wound up trying to find a way to point out that Hamlet's defect has a cause and an effect, and then further flanders pointing out that what remains to be seen. Perhaps there might be a few laughs in the delivery, but really it's not funny at all. He takes a breath and regains the king and queen's frustrated attention with the word perpend. It means something like just listen. 
and they do. Polonius is the king of the subordinate clause, the unnecessary detail that he can't resist including. The stakes are high here and he's nervous and he doesn't want any bases left uncovered. I have a daughter, have, while she is mine, who in her duty and obedience, Mark, hath given me this. Now gather and surmise. Perpend, Mark, gather, surmise. Polonius is very insistent on having Claudius and Gertrude's absolute attention now that he's brought up Ophelia and her involvement in all this. Now it's personal to him too. Ophelia, in her duty and obedience, gave him a letter that she'd received from Hamlet, and so Polonius reads it. To the celestial and my soul's idol, the most beautified Ophelia, now, before even we have a chance to question how poorly written an introduction this might be, Polonius does so for us, because it really is terribly bad writing. Polonius comments, that's an ill phrase, a vile phrase. Beautified is a vile phrase. Maybe, just maybe, in the depths of this theme that I've already been thinking is rather more serious than its playing history might have had us believe, maybe, is there a little joke from Shakespeare in here? One of the most famous things ever written about Shakespeare himself was not a compliment or a nice epitaph. In fact, it was an attack from Robert Greene in his pamphlet A Groat's Worth of Wit. This piece of writing was filled, apparently, with references to contemporary playwrights, and it's generally agreed that Shakespeare appears in it, referred to as an upstart crow, beautified with our feathers. Discussion has raged for centuries about what the attack means, to the extent that there's even now a sitcom about Shakespeare named after it. Hamlet was written a good few years after its publication, but I can't resist the temptation to wonder about Polonius's comment here. Is Shakespeare getting his own back, saying, beautified is a vile phrase? If I were Robert Greene, I would absolutely seek to flatter myself that I'd scored such a palpable hit against the younger writer, that several years later he felt the need to immortalise the insult in one of his plays. And who knows? Polonius continues commenting and reading, skimming through the pages and editing on the fly for the sake of Ophelia's modesty. Uh, but you shall hear. Thus, uh, in her excellent white bosom, uh, these, etc, etc. Gertrude interrupts, probably still exasperated and eager for Polonius to get to the point. Came this from Hamlet to her? But Polonius is on a roll, and he will not be rushed, beseeching the queen, Good madam, stay a while, I will be faithful. Be patient, your majesty, I will read you just what he wrote. I think we'll save the contents of the rest of Hamlet's letter for the next episode. For now, thanks as ever for listening, and be sure to check out the website, you can follow us on Twitter, join us on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get your podcasts, and if you're feeling generous, you could write a review, or indeed just tell your friends about it. I'll speak to you next week. <laughs>